For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Jack Anderson. I'm Hope Perry. And I'm Eden Tashoma. You're listening to Daybreak. Last week, we sat down with Mark Frieda, the mayor of Princeton, to discuss university and town relations, the future of the dinky, and more. It's Sunday, February 20th. Here at The Daily Princetonian, we spend a lot of time talking about what happens in the orange bubble, the events that impact the university. But The Prince isn't just a paper for campus, it's a paper for the whole Princeton community, and that means the town beyond Fitzrandolph Gate. So Daybreak decided to cross to the other side of Nassau Street and take a drive down Witherspoon to visit the mayor. If you keep going down Witherspoon, past the Paul Robeson Center and the grave of Aaron Burr, you'll get to the Princeton Town Municipal Office. There, you'll find the police station and municipal court, but on Friday, February 3rd, we were there for the mayor's office. So just to start off really easily, can you just introduce yourself with your name and what you do? Yeah, sure. So I'm Mark Frieda. I'm the mayor of Princeton. Uh, and I guess what I do is uh, kind of act as the head of the town, more or less. Although in reality, everything that happens with the town is by whole groups of people. And all those people together make everything happen. And it really wouldn't be right for me or anybody else to try to take credit as making everything happen that happens every day. So can you talk a little bit about like what the mayor actually, like what your job is? Because you just mentioned a bunch of people who you work with who make the town go and make everything happen. What's your day like when you come in here in the morning? Yeah, well, so, you know, the mayor's job isn't a full-time job. You know, I do get paid. I think I get paid $17,000 a year. So it's definitely not uh, something that I'm living on. So I have a regular full-time job. So my full-time job is actually right across the street at the Princeton First Aid Squad. So pretty much my daily existence is walking back and forth between the two buildings, balancing out which building do I need to be at at the moment. But you know, the the mayor does does a lot of things, uh, part of which the most obvious I think is running the council meetings. So we have a couple council meetings a month, you know, on a good month there's only two, on bad months there's there's more. There's all kinds of meetings outside the council meetings. Uh, The mayor's kind of the face of the of the town at times, you know, so I go to a lot of uh, business openings or other uh, nonprofit events, uh, things like that, and, you know, just try to fly the flag of the town, so to speak. And then the other thing I think is trying to be like the head cheerleader for the town. So really trying to promote all the good things that are in the town. So I do a lot on social media, try to stay active there and promote businesses, events, whatever. And then I think the other thing, you know, the mayor, not I think, the mayor really needs to, on a daily basis, be open-minded, solicit input from the public, encourage the public to be uh, participants in whatever we're doing. So I think that one of the more important things of the mayor's office is to try to set the tone for how the town government hopes to function and to interact with the people. So um, going off the town government aspect, um, you didn't serve on the Cannabis Task Force, but it's been a big topic of discussion. Um, there's been a lot of backlash that we've covered uh, at the Prince. Um, so back at the end of November, the, the chair of the task force, Eve Niendergang, um, she said that an ordinance would be introduced to the town council by January, February. Obviously, that time is now, and yeah. <laughs> the, the most recent meeting was canceled over community concerns. Um, so can you speak a little bit about those concerns and how they uh, will impact um, the rollout of the new cannabis policy? Sure. So uh, the next meeting where we'll talk about cannabis will be March 29th, and that'll be what the council calls a work session. So there won't actually be any decisions made that night, but we'll talk about the pros and cons. So Eve, as chair of the uh, cannabis task force, will make a summary report saying here's the recommendations of the cannabis task force. There will be some other reports from people that probably disagree with the recommendations of the task force, and then we'll get into public comment. So I think what we're going to try to do is keep the presentations at the beginning of the meeting informative, but short enough, because you don't want to tie up so much of the meeting that when the public finally gets a chance to talk, 
it's 10 o'clock at night and then people start, you know, people can only stay on the call so long, people have jobs or whatever. So hopefully we keep that part succinct and then we get into all the public comment. There's been a lot of pushback on the whole idea of having dispensaries in town. And a lot of people have really said, you know, look, I voted to legalize marijuana because we're, we're charging people with crimes, we're locking people up, we're really just like hurting people for no good reason. But just because I voted for that, a lot of them are saying, that doesn't mean I want a dispensary in my town. It just means I just wanted to stop some of the bad impacts of, of the current laws. And there's a lot of discussion about, will minors be able to get you know, these products from the dispensaries? How are you really gonna control that? What are, what are the unforeseen consequences of having dispensaries in town? You know, are there gonna be more people wandering around town? People are concerned about the odor, concerned about the look. How's it gonna be advertised? Is it gonna attract crime? Because these are mostly cash businesses. So there's a, a lot of concerns. So, but you know, that's all, in my mind, that's all good. That's great. Let people come up with every concern, question they have, and then we should talk about it at a public meeting. So I know all the council members and myself are getting emails from people all the time. And one of the things we have to balance out is that decisions and viewpoints that, that we have, we got to be careful about expressing them outside of public meetings because you can't have all the council people or the elected officials, them and, and myself, appearing to have like come to a conclusion before the public meeting. So I know sometimes people are not happy with some of our replies where we say, look, you really got to wait to the public meeting. And they're like, no, I want, I want to know what all of you are thinking now. And we're like, well, we really aren't supposed to make a decision until we hear all the comment and then make a decision. I wanted to ask about another issue that often comes up at public meetings, uh, which is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, it's an issue that creates a lot of conflict. In 2018, before you were the mayor, there was actually a lawsuit that was settled by, by Princeton. Um, and later there was a plan that was released about how Princeton would fulfill its obligations to affordable housing. So I just wanted to ask you about, you know, now that you've been in office for a little while, you know, how you have seen affordable housing sort of issues play out and, you know, what the future of that looks like here in Princeton. Sure. Yeah. So there was a court decision in, in December of 2020 that kind of laid out, here's all the things that you have, that you Princeton have to do. So we're making a fair amount of progress on that. So I'll get into that in a minute. The other thing that we've done is we've created affordable housing um, overlay zones in a number of areas around town. And that kind of encourages people to, to build more density in a certain area. So if you build seven units and one or two of them, there's some formula, it depends where, which overlay zone you're in. But anyway, you build so much and you build and some percent of that is affordable housing, then that kind of encourages more affordable housing in a lot of different areas around town. That's one way we're addressing it. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that's, that's gonna happen in town over the next couple of years. And Princeton's gonna look different in a few years because we're gonna have, it's gonna be denser. There's gonna be a lot more housing units in the town. All of that that I just described will probably be coming online between 2023 and 2024 for the most part. So there's gonna be a lot more density, a lot more people, a lot more units available in town fairly soon. And then one of the reasons that you get developers to come in and, and build these developments is that when they can do a mix of market rate and affordable units, they use the sale of the market rate units to subsidize the capped sale price on the affordable units. So it really works. It, it works well to have that mix if you make sure that the developer doesn't say, well, the market rate units are going to be built with items of this quality and the affordable are, you know, five steps below that. So, you know, they might not be equal, but they should be pretty close. And you don't want them saying, well, the market rate units are going to be 
this size and the affordables are suddenly a lot smaller. So there's a lot of back and forth that goes on with the developer to try to make sure everybody's treated as equitable as possible and that the units are ones that people are going to appreciate being in. So anyway, I think that's I think that's I think that's it on the affordable housing for the moment. Yeah, I have just like I'm just curious about something you were talking a little bit about like how the builders feel about that when they're approaching it, but I'm curious if like they're if you've gotten feedback um, from like people who live in the town about how they feel or if there has been like backlash to the idea or like general support, because obviously it sounds like for the builders, that's like a pretty good deal for them to build that mix and that works out for the town as well and for meeting your goals. Right. But about how like other people, because I could see some people maybe not being super excited about that. Right, and you know, I think it's interesting in that it's a great question because, so if I take the Franklin Avenue parking lot site, which is still to be determined exactly what's gonna happen there, there has been a lot of back and forth with the neighbors in the area, as there should be, but it's pretty much been you know, I hate to generalize and say everybody's saying the same thing, but most of the comments have been, we're not against affordable housing and we're not against your building here right next, you know, right in our backyard or, you know, a block away, half a block away, whatever it might be. We just want to make sure it looks nice and it respects our own property. So, you know, don't build six inches from the property line. Have, you know, at least don't put a four-story building six inches from the property line. So it's more concerned about some general aesthetics and things. It hasn't been, dear God, don't build this in my neighborhood. It's really been, I'm concerned about how you're going to build it not, I don't want you to build it. And that's been most of the discussion so far with the public. So I, th- you know, I think that's pretty encouraging. Uh, that's, that's the discussion you want to have versus, well, let's arm wrestle and figure out why I'm going to force you to have you know, housing in your backyard and why you, why you don't like it as opposed to. And, and you know, we've done, uh, there's been other housing built in Princeton for years. I mean, Princeton was way ahead of the curve on affordable housing for a long time. And I know that we had uh, Princeton, Community Bills, Princeton Community Housing built project on uh, Elm Road and it's uh, called 310. It's the Harriet Bryant houses, house. And when they first built it, a lot of the neighbors were very much against it. And some of the neighbors actually sued them, if I remember correctly, which is just a waste of money for everybody because that money should really go into building the housing as opposed to paying lawyers. But it's interesting that on a lot of these, after they're built, you go back a year, two years, five years later, Nobody notices that it's there. They're like, oh yeah, this wasn't so bad. It's no big deal. Hey, these are great people. I see them over here and everything. So, you know, you try to, if you do enough ahead of time and you're very open and transparent, here's what we're doing, here's why we're doing it, here's the need for it, things like that, then people buy into it. I mean, they're not all going to agree, but you know, for the most part, people in Princeton are pretty accepting. So in December, New Jersey Transit released four different plans for the future of the Dinky. Is there a plan you particularly favor? And if so, why? Okay, so it's interesting because I've talked to the New Jersey Transit people numerous times about this study of the railway uh, because, you know, the, the dinky has quite a history, uh, you know. So when anything happens to the dinky line or anything's discussed about that, whew, there's an immediate reaction. So New Jersey Transit has come up with four concepts. They're not actual plans yet. They're simply concepts. And this is a lot of what the phone calls and emails I get are people like, did you see this plan or that plan? I'm like, it's not a plan yet. It's a concept and they're getting, gauging what is the reaction to each concept. And then, so what I imagine is gonna happen, I imagine they'll take the four concepts, narrow it down to probably two. And then from there, get the public reaction and try to figure out from as many people as possible, you know, what's good and bad about each one. And in my discussions with New Jersey Transit, they are really trying to figure out how to use the current Dinky station and have that create a hub that comes further into town. So. You don't get off the dinky and then you're like, okay, 
Is there a taxi here? Am I calling Uber? Am I walking through campus, which isn't a bad idea, but I got five suitcases, what am I doing? So they really want to find a way to extend some service from the Dinky Station into the center of town. So how they're going to do that, that's again part of what these concepts are hopefully will drive. So anyway, they'll hopefully get down to two concepts. There'll be a lot of back and forth with here's good and bad and you guys are crazy, you're not crazy or whatever. So um, I'm sure they'll get 10 people from Princeton and have 12 opinions, but anyway. They'll figure this out, and then this process is going to take years. So there won't be a real plan probably for a couple years yet, I would say. There is a goal. The goal overall is a good goal. It's just how they get there is what we have to work through. So how do you view the relationship between the town and the gown and um, Princeton University, and are there any particular areas where you think you can, where work needs to be done on that relationship? Yeah, so I, th I think the relationship between the two is pretty darn good. It's had its ups and downs over many, 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 many years, but I think we're in a, in a pretty good spot right now. And then look, you know, looking forward, the university has a multi-year agreement with the town to provide a certain amount of financial support, and that, that ends this year. So that'll be renegotiated. I think the town is always gonna look to the university for some amount of financial aid, so to speak, just because the town incurs a lot of cost having the university here, cost that the university does not pay for directly. So, but putting that aside, I really think we, we the town, and the university need to be involved and are engaged with each other much more frequently about planning. So, you know, you have the lake campus that's gonna go out on the other side of the lake. In, it's in, in West Windsor, it's not in Princeton. But if we're planning jointly, and if I'm paying attention, and I see that the university wants to build in, you know, something like that, I'm gonna say, wait a minute, aren't you building that in Princeton? We want you to attract businesses, startups, et cetera, into Princeton, not into, sorry, West Windsor, but we don't want you to go to West Windsor, we want you to come into our town. Um, and, and I think if we're doing joint planning, we'd also talk to the university about, okay, so you're gonna enlarge the student population, you're gonna add a college, whatever you're gonna do. Where are you building all those buildings for the students? Now, if you look at the number of buildings that are just being, a couple are complete and a couple more are still in, in progress, they're really on the lower end of campus. So if you're a student on the lower end of campus, I don't know to what degree you're going to be motivated to come up across Nassau Street. To me, that's a problem, right? Because we want to encourage, as a town, we want to encourage the student involvement in the town as much as possible. There are so many things to do in town. There's so many nonprofits, so many just good groups in town that having the energy of the student population involved in would just be a tremendous help. And, you know, part of the, the college experience shouldn't be all on campus. It really should be, well, what's around my campus and what can I what can I get involved in and get some life lessons other than, and you need a break from being on campus anyway, right? I mean, you guys are gonna <laughs> go crazy over there. The pressure on you guys, you know, it's not like it's a very easy uh, curriculum over there. So I've heard, but um, you know, anyway, so I think anything we can do planning wise to see where our goals, the town's goals and the university goals are common or at least common enough that we should be working on them together, that, that would make sense. And the other thing to be realistic, I mean, the university plans 50 years ahead. The town really isn't there yet. We're not planning 50 years ahead. We're planning for a much shorter horizon. So mixing the two together would help the town, I think, plan for a longer horizon, which would be a good thing. And it, the, the university, if it had more of an ear to people with a town perspective, I think it would just help them with everything that they're doing. So when they come in front of the planning board or the zoning board or whatever it is, they would have already heard a number of things that they should have been concerned about that take them by surprise. So if we look at what happened on Prospect Street with the whole thing that's really being built more on Ivy Lane, but it, then it swings around and comes to Prospect and they were going to take three of the three houses down, three, and I get it, they're older structures, they were going to take those down and move the what used to be a club 
club from one side of Prospect to the other, and it really created a lot of backlash. So whether we agree with the backlash or not, it's just if there was more of a joint planning process, that could have been avoided. All the costs that the university went through to redesign things, attorney costs. But anyway, you just look at what it cost everybody, the town, the groups that were against it, the university. Boy, that money could have been better spent on any number of things in this town. So to me, that's just part of what we, we, we could have done. And then I think the other thing is just look to the university for, are there in-kind services the university could provide that makes sense? You know, I, I don't like that we go to the university and say, we need more money, we need more money. If I'm the university, I'm like, okay, are you guys serious? So, you know, and if I'm the university, part of it I think needs to be, how is that money being used? And are we actually helping the taxpayers in Princeton by giving you money? Are you using that money in a way that helps keep your taxes lower, flatter, or whatever, as opposed to you're using our money to help pay for something, but the taxpayers aren't getting any break. So again, all the joint planning, the more we talk, the better. The university's a great place, the town's a great place. So we should all, as often as we can, I, I, I gotta think a lot of what either wants to do can be aligned fairly easily. Not always, but most I think could be. So ultimately, what accomplishment would you like to mark your term? So, you know, look, there's a number of things. And some of, the, some of it's real basic. Government has to work well. How does government work well? In my opinion, government works well when it's transparent, it's open, it invites public um, participation, public comment, and that you realize that you could have 20 meetings on, so let's take cannabis. You could have 20 meetings on cannabis. Probably 70% of the people will not engage you on that topic, any topic, until you're just about to make a decision. And you need to understand that. So as elected officials, you know, you can't get upset when people come, quote unquote, late to the game. So, you know, part of, part of what I want to instill or leave behind at some point is a culture of, okay, we understand how the process, the give and take with the public works. So that's just what it is. So let's just anticipate it and deal with it. And it's no big deal when it happens. Don't get upset, don't get worked up about it. That's just the way it is. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, you know, we have a great staff and we as elected officials need to stay out of their way. So to me, it's a big thing that the elected officials understand that we are really a policy group and we're not a day-to-day -day tactical group. So leave the tactical to the staff and leave the policy making to the elected officials. Keep everybody in their sandbox, mostly. There'll always be some crossover. But if you do that, the whole mechanism works smoother. It works better. So you'll get more done. It'll take you less time. So anyway, so those are like, they're not glamorous, but those are some things that concern me and then I hope to achieve. The other thing is, you know, I look at the town and I spoke before about diversity and the and how diversity in this town is threatened. So we're working on affordable housing and we have all this other housing that costs a mint to buy. So what's happening to everybody that's like in between? Uh, so we haven't addressed that yet. And that's something I'm hoping that we will address is, and it's not gonna be something that's gonna be addressed like in a year, but we should make a goal to how can we increase affordable, uh, excuse me, working class housing stock in this town, right? You need people that, working class people, to work in all our businesses, but you also need to allow for people, you know, you grew up here, maybe you're going to college, maybe you're not. So maybe you're out of high school and you got a trade job, but why should you have to move out of town because you can't afford to live here? Or you just came back from college, you don't wanna live with your parents, so you really haven't started on your career yet, you don't have a boatload of money, why can't you afford to live here? So that's a, a segment of the housing market that we have to figure out a way to help with. So that, that's something that I'm hoping that we will address. The other thing that I also hope we'll address at some point is to come up with a really well thought out parking and transportation plan for the town. Now, people will refer to, we've had parking studies done in the past and there's more than enough parking in town. Well, 
I don't, I don't know that that's true because almost everybody I talk to that tries to park in town says I can't find a parking space. So I, somewhere in between, I guess, is what actually, is actually happening. But I think you need to think out. Most of the businesses in town will tell you that 60% or more of their customers are not from Princeton. They're from out of town. So those people are not walking here. They're not riding a bike here. So no matter how much we do more bike paths in town, no matter how wide, much wider we make the sidewalks or whatever, a chunk of people are still going to be driving to this town. So we need to have a place for those vehicles to go. And they don't all have to be in the center of town. They could be somewhere else. But we need to figure out how to have a plan that says, here's places to park. And then from when you park, there's some way to get to where you want to go. You're not just like left wherever. So, you know, we seem to be really good at like focusing on here, this little thing right over here, instead of looking at the big picture often enough. So those are a couple examples of where I think more big picture thinking, really think long-term and don't get too tied into the minutia, but see what's causing the minutia and then figure out, okay, on a higher level, how do we address it? So hopefully. And just because we have to ask, are you considering re-election? <laughs> God, I get asked that way too many times. Yeah. So, I mean, I've literally just started the second year of my four-year term. I have no, I have no idea, right? Because, I mean, I don't know, another two and a half, a little, it's more than two and a half years away. So, I don't know, do I win the lottery? Do I, <laughs> uh, I don't know, do I get hit by a bus? So, it, it's, it, you know, hopefully, hopefully not. <laughs> but, you know, a lot can happen in two and a half years, you know. So I, 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 just, I just don't know yet. But I will say this, I love being the mayor. It's a great job, it's a great town. So what's not to like? Thank you so, so much for taking the time to like talk to us, it was really good. I'm happy to, anytime, Please, really, thank you. Mayor Frida actually has his own podcast all about the people of Princeton, appropriately titled Princeton Podcast. You can check it out wherever you like to listen. Thanks so much to Mayor Frida for taking the time to speak with us. That's all for Daybreak for today. Today's episode was written by Jack Anderson, Eden Toshoma, and me, and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horn, class of 2022. For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Hope Perry. Have a wonderful day.